I also want to greet you in Jesus' name. So I'd like to wish a special blessing to each of the mothers here this morning. Google told me that Mother's Day was a way of honoring the sacrifices mothers made for their children. And while this is very true, mothers have given up their freedom of a leisure, self-gratifying life to dedicate a large amount of energy and time into taking care of the needs of helpless babies that were born into their home. But for mother, women of faith, it is, is not looking as an end or an interruption in an earthly career, but a desire to fulfill the longing in their heart to follow God's intended will for humankind, to experience a joy of holding a miracle in your arms and to raise this child for God's kingdom. I would rather say we honor our mothers because of their faithfulness. And I think we all know that even though there's a tremendous joy with the birth of a child and the privilege to take care of them, there's also a huge responsibility that comes with that. And that phase of life goes with raising children. It can also be very tiring and sometimes discouraging. And to this point, I've heard comments from some of you that you didn't hear much of a sermon on a Sunday morning, and I remember this very well, when the twins were born and uh, Darlene and I both had a toddler with us at church, we'd leave church and look at each other and ask, why did we bother even going? And I want to encourage you this morning, don't stop coming when you may be tempted to feel discouraged about these things. The sound of babies here at church is such a blessing. It's very different than what it's been in the last uh, three, four years ago, I'd say. And it's very common to hear comments from somebody on the way home of how there's so many babies at church right now, and it's always in a positive way. And I often, sitting close to the front, often hear the the sound and the noise of babies back the seats behind us, and it, it's truly a blessing. And these times can make memories, and it can also be a blessing for those that are around you. Um, I know there were ladies in our church that were willing to take one of the children to relieve us, and I see that happening here quite a bit. I've just seen it this morning. And that can be a can be a blessing. We can share in one another's burdens, and I don't necessarily say that as a burden, but it's where you find yourself in life, and it's an opportunity for us to lighten each other's loads. <clears throat> and as far as making memories in these difficult times. There's some things we enjoy talking about, and I don't think Darlene will mind if I share. She likes to remind the children of her shopping days with her four oldest children. I'm not sure how old the twins were when she started doing this on her own, but I think Joshua would have been five and Braden three. So there's two babies in car seats that meant two shopping carts for them. 
and Braden either in or out or trying to decide which cart to be in. And Jocelyn was left to push the second cart, which he couldn't see over it. So there's two babies to keep happy, toddler to keep in control, cart number two to keep from crashing into shelves and other people, and oh yeah, don't forget about the shopping. Was this a fun, leisure shopping trip for mom and her children? Not at all. It was stressful, very tiring, and could be very discouraging, and possibly tears sometimes. But I tell you these things to encourage you to continue in where God has called you and to be faithful. I was going to take a break from my sermon series this morning and focus on Mother's Day. But as I looked ahead at the next subject that I was going to cover on uh, the series of God's plan of salvation, I couldn't seem to separate the two subjects. Um, I felt like I would have needed to change my thoughts so the two sermons wouldn't be much the same. So this morning we're going to have a two-in-one message. My next message was on faith. Faith is a subject that multiple sermons could be preached on. But as I thought of Mother's Day, my mind kept going to faithful mothers. And the title of the message this morning is Women of Faith. I'm going to be looking for a few of the few mothers in the Bible who uh, didn't have an easy storybook life, storybook life and yet were faithful. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. There's three words that we're going to refer to a lot this morning that describe faith. And that is belief, confidence, and trust. Without having the evidence that gives us confidence. If we have the evidence, this is knowledge. And we have, we have the knowledge and it confirms, and it is confirmed by one of our senses. We could see it, hear it, feel it, taste it, smell it. We are confident in what we believe because we experienced it. Faith is based on evidence of something we have not seen for ourselves, but we're convinced by the evidence and we trust the source of the information. Thomas didn't have that confidence or the trust in those who told him when they seen Jesus and that he arose from the dead and appeared to them in that locked room. And Jesus told Thomas, You believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who have not seen yet believe." That is you and me this morning. We have not seen Jesus when he was preaching here on earth. We have not seen him suspended between heaven and earth on the cross. We did not see him when he arose and was seen by many in Jerusalem. And do I doubt like Thomas? Or do I see enough evidence that I'm convinced 
that Jesus lived and died. And there's two other elements of faith, the natural faith. The natural the man with the natural faith only stops at the limit of his own personal knowledge or the knowledge of others in whom he has confidence. Everyone has this element of faith. So when you buy tickets to fly to another state, you go to that correct gate and you board that plane that says it's going to your destination. And you have faith that the information that you got was true and have confidence that when you land, you're going to be stepping off the plane at the place you want to be. But this faith is limited to what the person has confidence in. There's the Christian faith or a living faith. And I'm going to read a little bit from Doctrines of the Bible. Since when it comes to Christian faith, we enter a new realm. The persons or beings whom we are called upon to believe are not seen, but unseen. The man with natural faith only stops at the limit of his own personal knowledge or the knowledge of others in whom he has confidence. His faith stops with creation or perhaps with the dawn of history on the one hand and with the with death on the other. But the man possessed but the man possessed with Christian faith goes beyond this. He believes that the Bible is a divine and miraculous revelation from God to man, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, was born of a virgin, gave us an unerring gospel, died for our sins, rose for our justification. In short, while a man with only natural faith has a faith that is earthly, man with a Christian faith has a faith that is heavenly. And living faith is, it is a faith which worketh, Galatians 5, 6, that constitutes the living faith. It is a faith that grips the soul and moves the individual to act. With these thoughts in the background, we're going to look at a few of these mothers. Turn with me to Exodus 2. Very familiar passage. Exodus 2, 1 to 10, the story of the birth of Moses. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, he was a goodly child, and she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags of the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take the child away, nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew 
And she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and she became her son, and she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Life for the Israelite families at this moment was extremely hard. Pharaoh had ordered the taskmasters that they should demand more and more work from them to keep them from becoming such a strong nation inside of his country. But God continued to bless them and they multiplied and became very strong. So to weaken them, he came up with his other plan and demanded that all the boy babies would be killed. And this is a setting that this story takes place in. We don't actually know too much about the family. And they may have been a very, very common family there there in Egypt among the other Israelites. When Moses was born, his mother looked at him, saw that he was a goodly child. You know, some think the parents may have had a revelation of some kind that they they knew that he had to be protected. But I think a faithful mother, when she sees a newborn baby, will have that same thought. It is nothing short of holding a miracle that God has given to them. Hebrews 11:23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. I think this is the key that gives us all we need to know about this family. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. When I think of a faithful mother, I think of Moses' mother, Jochebed, Jochebed, looking down at this miracle from God and knowing that no matter what the king commanded, she would do all she could to save him. Having faith that if she did her part, God was able to do the rest. And knowing that God was there and she was going to trust God no matter how hard the circumstances and what happened. It would seem that their houses were searched randomly and the thought that came up as I was looking into this was there's probably quite a few that tried to hide their newborns from the soldiers. But as they got older, somewhere around that three-month age, they would lose faith because of how hard it was to hide a, uh, a toddler that was becoming active. But we see that Jochebed did not lose faith. But she did everything that she could and had faith that God would save him if he chose to. She made that basket and put him in the river. And she used her faith to bring Moses back into their home. And it was in these next few years that she was able to teach Moses the ways of God. And Moses would always remember the things that he was taught. And later in life, he chose God over wealth and fame. And mothers, I want to encourage you with these three definitions of faith. Believe, confidence, and trust when times get difficult. Believe that God is who He says He is. And have confidence that if you do what you can, He will do the rest. And trust that God is in control and that He cares about everything you are facing.
And when we give our all to Him, even though it sometimes feels very, like very little, He understands. Jochebed found herself in a very difficult place, but her faith helped her make choices that could please God and God could use her to further His kingdom through her child. Turn back to chapter 1, the story of two other women of great faith. These women were not mothers at this point when this took place. They were midwives and Pharaoh instructed them to kill all the baby boys that were born. Their names were, if I can say I'm right, Shepra and Pua. I'm going to start reading at 17 and read through 21. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, but they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dwelt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. In verse 17 it says that they feared God and they did not obey Pharaoh. And the Amplified Translation says they feared God with profound reverence. Their faith in the living God gave them the confidence that they were doing the right, th- the right thing by disobeying Pharaoh and his command. And they trusted God that he would do the rest. And because of the choice of these two women in all of, of Egypt there in the Israelite camp, in that part of the nation, the country there, he blessed all of Israel. It says they multiplied and became very mighty because of their testimony. But God was still not finished because of these two women and their fear of God, the profound reverence. He blessed them with their own families. And I think that's found in uh, verse 21. He made them houses. And if you research that, it would indicate that He gave them houses and families of their own. God blesses all who fear Him and choose to do what He we know is right. Go back to those three faith words. They believed. They had confidence. And they trusted. They were not only dealing with their neighbor. They were communicating with the king of Egypt. They had a living faith. Second Kings 11 for our next one. Second Kings 11, I'm just going to read verses 1 and 1 to 3. And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. But Jehosheba, 
the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons, which were slain. And they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber from Athaliah, so that he was not slain. This is an interesting story. Athaliah claimed the throne when her son was killed. She attempted to kill all of the, the sons that were heir to the throne so that she could establish her own royal line. And Jehosheba was a sister to Ahaziah, most likely a half-sister. And even though she was from the, from the royal line, she was given in marriage to high priest Jehoiada, which have, would have not been a very common occurrence at that time. And if Athaliah would have succeeded with her plan, she would have brought an end to God's promise to David that the promised Messiah would come through him. But God has ways beyond human reasoning to preserve his royal seed. And because of being married to Jehoiada, the high priest, Jehosheba knew that God's promised son was through David's royal seed. And because of her faith, she believed that God's promise was truth. And she was convinced that he would preserve his promise through Joash, this tiny newborn baby that was rescued among the dead. Whether he was injured as well, we don't know. But he was rescued from among the other the heirs to the throne. He was the only one alive, and she trusted that if God wanted him to live and would keep him he would keep him safe and hiding till he was old enough to be crowned. God is not limited, but can work through all who are faithful. Take one more step back, and this happened when David was still alive, first Kings one. Sometimes us men need our faithful wives to remind us of needs within our home, our children, and encourage us to do what we need to be done before it is too late. And I know that's how it is for me. Uh, God has rightly seen the need for a help meet for me in this way. First Kings 1, I'm going to read 15 to 21. And Bathsheba went into, in unto the king into the chamber, and the king was very old, and Abinishag, the Shumanite, ministered unto the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did obeisance unto the king. And the king said, What wouldest thou? And she said unto him, My lord, thou swearest by the Lord thy God unto thine handmaid, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, thy son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne. And now, behold, Ad Anijah reigneth, and now, my lord, the king, thou knowest it not. And he hath slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance, and hath called all the sons of the king, and Abathar, the priest, and Joab, the captain of the host. But Solomon and thy servant hath he not called. And thou, O lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are upon thee, that thou shouldest tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. 
Otherwise it shall come to pass when my lord the king shall sleep with his fathers that I and my son Solomon shall be counted offenders. When this took place, we really don't know if King David had plans in the future to crown Solomon or if his health conditions were very low and if he wasn't really even thinking about that or concerned about it and was just comfortable in the place that he found himself. But either way, he needed this reminder that if he doesn't do this, his son Solomon's life was at stake. And I don't think Bathsheba had that her motives were selfish in in doing this. But I'm also confident that she knew and understood that when God spoke to David and told them that it was through his son that he would get the throne after him and it was through him that the promised redeemer was going to be was going to come. She had faith that God's promises were true. So with Nathan's encouragement, if you read earlier, Nathan had come to her and encouraged her. She went to David and reminded him of these things. Faithful women can help me, can be help me without being controlling. And David graciously accepted this reminder and immediately sent for his men to crown Solomon. Again, God works through his faithful servants. <clears throat> Going to spend a little time yet in uh, faith and how it affects our salvation. The uh, there are two different types of faith: dead faith and living faith. In Hebrews eleven six, but without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. A dead faith believes, a person believes, but has no desire to seek and to learn how to live in his ways. When right with our Sunday school this morning, learning the mind of Christ, living the mind of Christ. It is a living faith that grips the heart of man, moves him to seek God's pardoning grace, and having found his grace, keep it to the end. And as we go through these this next minute, I'm going to be reading quite a few Verses, I'll say them. We don't necessarily have to turn to them, but if you want to write them down. And faith is essential for salvation. Acts 16.31 And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. <clears throat> John 3.18 He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. No faith, no salvation. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Are you convinced that his blood has the power to save you? And do you trust that if you put your faith in him, you will see him in heaven? How do we find faith? Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10.17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. By prayer, Luke 17.5. And the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Pray that Jesus would reveal more and more to you 
that your faith can be strengthened, that you can grow, continue to be more like him. It comes by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.9 To another faith by the same Spirit when he's speaking of the gifts that are handed, given out. John 16.13 Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever you shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And then by the example of others, First. Timothy 4.12 Let no man despise thy youth. Be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. What faith does for us, it assures salvation. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting Life. <clears throat> Brings joy and peace. First Peter one eight. Whom having not seen ye love, and whom though ye Though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. Romans 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through all our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who has faith, he believes, he is convinced, and he trusts in Jesus that he can experience a joy and peace that cannot be found anywhere outside of Christ. Is a shield of protection. Ephesians 6.16 Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now how does faith protect us? If you take any of the three words away that we've been looking at, you're laying down that shield and you're exposing yourself to the fiery darts of Satan. Take believing away, Satan will throw the dart of doubt. Take convinced away, Satan will throw the dart of confusion. Take trust away, Satan will throw the dart of worry. Faith in Jesus is a shield that Satan cannot get around unless we lower it. It assures overcoming power. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world... And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Walk and stand by faith. Second Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. If we walk by sight, we will automatically follow others rather than God. And if we walk by faith, it goes again to those three words that we have used many times this morning. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong, or act like men. When you have found this faith, stick to it, stand fast. 
In 1 Corinthians 15:58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Anything else but the true faith will be a moving faith. And if your faith is moving this morning, you will never find these things that we looked at this morning. It needs to be grounded, steadfast, unmovable. In closing, take some time to recap these last three sermons with our three faith words. If we don't have these, we will struggle going on with the results of the salvation that we've been going through. Do I believe? Am I convinced? Do I trust that Jesus' blood was an atonement for my sins? That Jesus redeemed me and there is nothing I can do to earn this salvation? And is my shield of faith in place so Satan cannot reach me? Remember these women of faith that we talked about in the beginning. They could not see the other side of these difficult places that they found themselves in. But their faith was strong enough and they believed that following God's plan was most important and were convinced that if they do what they could, they could trust God to do the rest. God bless all the mothers here this morning as you continue to live in faithfulness to God who has called you according to His purpose.